I always like to emphasize this yeah, this ability in general that these uh, microorganisms, life is in particular, have to uh, to induce a, a stable uh, ruminal environment. And sometimes a stable ruminal environment has nothing to do with the increase in pH. Maybe is decreasing the variability of ruminal pH. A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. AB Vista. Feed intelligence and targeted ingredients to optimize rumen function. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Adiseo USA, producers of SmartMIMM and MilkPay.com. Bergen Schmidt, your partner for improving animal performance. Diamond V, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global dairy industry. AB Vista helps dairy producers maximize their herd potential with feed intelligence and targeted ingredients to optimize rumen function and overall animal health. From young calves to lactating dairy cows, AB Vista is here to combine industry-leading products and optimal feed strategies to increase your ROI. Welcome back to the Dairy Podcast Show. My name is Barry Bradford from Michigan State University. Today, I'm looking forward to talking with Dr. Jonas Sarturi. Dr. Sarturi is a faculty member at Texas Tech University in Lubbock. Uh, his background is he's originally from Brazil. He got his veterinary degree from the University for the Development of Pantanal, uh, followed by a master's in agronomy from the University of Sao Paulo. And then he came to the U.S. to do a Ph.D. in animal science from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. Uh, before moving uh, to Texas, doing a postdoc at Texas A&M, and then joining the faculty at Texas Tech in 2013. He's got, he has a teaching and research appointment there, where his research focuses on beef cattle nutrition and ruminal metabolism, especially the development of strategies to improve, evaluate, and better utilize byproducts, forages, and grains in ruminant diets. He also manages the Ruminant Nutrition Laboratory and the Ruminant Nutrition Center at Texas Tech, which helps him uh, foster basic and applied research in ruminant nutrition and help to uh, encourage undergraduate and graduate students working in this field. So with that introduction, Dr. Sorturi, thank you for joining us today. Great. Thank you for the invitation. It's an honor for me to participate. I have been waiting for the invitation for a long time, I guess. It's, uh, we, we all hope to, to collaborate, and uh, I, I can't be thankful enough for the opportunity to share a couple of uh, thoughts with you guys here today. Yeah, well, we're looking forward to it. So uh, I always like to find out a little bit about people's background. You uh, got trained as a veterinarian, first of all. How, what got you on that path? Yes, yes. So uh, I, I had all set in mind to be a lawyer. I guess I had a very good plan and uh, I, I, I didn't follow that path. It, may, it might be because of uh, my sister. So she's a lawyer. So we, we get influenced by people, right? But uh, I've been, uh, uh, been in agriculture since, uh, since very young. My family actually 
uh, we were born in south of Brazil. My family moved to to a different country uh, to to work in agriculture in Paraguay, actually. So I could learn Spanish over there. That was great. Uh, so I've be, always been involved in, uh, in the, within me, I guess, I had that prepared. Uh, and uh, I just wasn't in the mindset, I guess, in collaborating in agriculture, but ended up working out that uh, I, I, I went to a veterinary school and then uh, there was no end after that so it took me quite a while to find a job right i guess parents sometimes they wonder why this kid is 30 years old is still in school right so <laughs> it takes a little longer when we're going to graduate school but uh, i found uh, my passion and my path and I, I believe it was inside me already and i just didn't know at that time yeah there you go and um, so you've been in Texas for 10 years now. Do you, how much do you interact with, with the industry there, with the feedlot industry or other parts of the industry? Yeah, no, uh, a lot. And that's a great point because uh, uh, I, I have a research in a, in a teaching appointment, but we also, we don't have extension here. So we are at Texas Tech University, but we have what we call the outreach. And uh, I, uh, one of the things that I have been doing actually is in, incorporating in, also inside my teaching this relationship with the producers. So I developed my classes to be service learning uh, and by coincidence, I guess I'm doing a service learning propaganda over here. So for our <laughs> team, so I, I would basically, instead of me to be doing hypothetical examples that on the board, uh, repeating things over here, I, we basically partner with producers. So then these uh, students can actually uh, not be thinking on the perfect answer, but perhaps on how to ask the necessary questions. Right. So, questions yep. go uh, with the producer. So it's a collaboration, right? As I never know what's coming, by the way, because uh, they select the, the community that they are serving. This is a service to society, right? The best as we can. So uh, it, it's always a, a question mark and it makes me be up to date as well, make me study hard. Uh, so then I don't embarrass myself in front of, in front of the students, right? And, uh, and so I have been incorporating this this collaboration also in my teaching. And of course, in the research, uh, we, we have the aspect, right? We we go visit, we, we do tours, we, we connect with the associations. Uh, but I guess I have been, Throughout the years, when I matured more in the in this academia arena, I have been uh, this movement, this move that I did on the service learning aspect. Uh, I'm pretty happy with it, and uh, don't take me wrong; it takes uh, quite a quite a little bit extra time. You probably know that, right? But it's 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 very fruitful, and uh, you can see in the eyes of these kids that uh, they are doing something meaningful. Uh, it is sometimes it's even emotional when uh, depending on this on the community that we're serving. So that's uh, amazing. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, I like how you point out. I think you're totally right that it's especially in the Google era, um, helping kids learn how to ask the right questions is maybe more important than you know memorizing a pile of facts, right? That's yeah, cool. I always tell them that if you know if you don't know the answer, uh, you can still give your opinion, right? Uh, but uh, formulating that question is what will make that information start to mine. And, uh, and silence sometimes doesn't solve the problem, right? We, we, we can shut our mouth and, and do right in a lot of situations, but you have to, to get away to mine that information so then you can collaborate, right? So Yeah, excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, let's dig in a little bit into your um, current research focus. Uh, obviously, you're working in 
ruminant metabolism, specifically digestive physiology. First of all, you know, for people working day to day on farms, what do you exactly mean by that digestive physiology or digestive, uh, you know, metabolism? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So uh, the, the the main connection that we have with the digestive process is we are manipulating these nutrients that we are offering to these animals, right? And we like to think in a simplistic way that it is a diet that you're providing nutrients, but it's actually not that simple because the animal behavior is being affected, right? The weather is being affected and uh, weather will be, sometimes becomes more or less popular depending if you're going under that drought or not or flooding, right? We got eight inches in seven days over here, a few days. So it, it can be surprising sometimes. But uh, the mainly connection we have is with these nutrients that we are offering these animals. And we like to think that inside that box, that if I meet these nutrient requirements, I'm good. So the computer can basically do my job. And then we prove ourselves like day after day, that is not only about that, right? Is the interaction among these nutrients, how this digestion is affected by the feeding behavior of the animal. We talk a lot about number of meals and the length of that meal. Uh, why that's not more popular? Well, because it's difficult to measure. I guess there are a lot of artificial intelligence now that will hopefully uh, instigate a little bit more on, on that arena. But we do a lot of visual observations over here, so with the good groundwork on, on the feeding behavior. And uh, so by digestive physiology, along with uh, or is what I made short is is trying to put in the context these things that we can manipulate with the intuit to make these animals more resilient, more efficient, right? And uh, with a producing safe safe products in uh, providing food security for the industry. So these things that we can manipulate that are things that we cannot, but if we can understand, uh, perhaps we can achieve the goal. Uh, uh, to improve this uh, resilience for for the for the livestock production in general, right? And is the beauty, I guess, is we can spread these to other species as well. Although I work with beef cattle, we can uh, we can use the same concept for for other animal for other animal species and even for companion animals, if you will, uh, because the behavior aspect, the social impact, the behavior aspect. Uh, is there, is there, is just, uh, uh, those are just difficult things to be measured, I guess. So. I want to dig into a couple of points you made there that I think are excellent. One, uh, the whole idea that how, how we formulate a diet or the kind of diet we put in front of animals can actually influence their feeding behavior. And you said that influences efficiency. So help us think through if, if that's, let's assume that's true. Do we want animals to eat? More meals per day, less meals per day. What are you thinking about when it comes to that? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, uh, uh, f- things that we known tra- more traditionally, let, let's do the opposite, more traditionally measure, right? And uh, we have done quite a bit inside my lab. My lab is uh, the speed of digestion of things, the rate of degradation, right? How how quick these things are are degraded and. Well, another way to look at this from the outside is if the digestion, if the, well, let's talk about rumen, if the ruminal rate of utilization of, of disappearance of those nutrients is quicker, right? If that rate is quicker, what is the effect that, that will have 
on the ability of the animals to consume uh, that diet, right? At the end of the day, they will the, the amount of nutrients that they will consume can be regulated for several things. We can talk about here uh, anorexigenic, anorexigenic uh, aspects of it, but uh, at the end of the day, these animals will have this load of nutrients that they will consume. And it matters how they consume that. So we would like to believe that uh, when these animals distribute the load of these nutrients throughout this, let's let's call it 24 hour in a more frequent and uh, less uh, more often and less uh, meal length. So smaller meals and more quantity of meals. We like to believe that it will distribute the load of nutrients, which can uh, can save a lot of headache when we think about the metabolites that will be produced when these nutrients are uh, utilized, right? When these nutrients starts to start to disappear inside the digestive tract. So we like to talk a lot about rumen, but it's not only only inside the rumen as well. So uh, and, uh, and we know that this behavior of consumption and actually beautifully uh, measured by dairy scientists, they wish we would do more of this on the, on the beef side. And, uh, but I guess there is a merging going on on this arena. But uh, the, the, it has to do with the speed of this nutrient disappearance. It has to do with the availability of the nutrients. It has to do with the load of nutrients offered. And people like to say that how many meals is your, are your animals getting? And they say, oh, I feed it three times a day. So they're doing, they're getting three meals. No, they're not. They're, the beef cattle are getting their, their 8 to 12 meals throughout the day, regardless of how many times you feed these animals. So how well are we allowing these animals to distribute this nutrient load, if you will? So uh, I, I think, and, and again, it's uh, I, I, don't, I don't like to seem like utopia, like it's something that is unachievable, but I, I think that we, we need to remember that we have the power to try to modulate these things. And uh, it might be a management, it might be a dietary formulation, and uh, and we usually add feeding behavior at the end. I usually have done in my publications at the end of the publication. So we measure this, 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 and that, and feeding behavior. So I, I joke with my colleagues over here that feeding behavior now has passed through the middle of my title. Uh, and perhaps in the future I will be designing only with that objective, then it might become the beginning of my title. But uh, it, it is a fact, and sometimes we, we can we can even uh, use as a cause, right? It's uh, uh, for for the responses that we see when when we manipulate diets, uh, especially in, in in this harsh environment, right? It, uh, it, we are in a semi-arid region, and uh, there are different portions of the country that have their uniqueness as well related to environment which can affect the behavior of the animals yeah and I, th- I think a lot of what you're talking about has very clear implications for dairy farms for example with relatively high stocking density yes if a diet or the situation cows are in makes them come to the bunk very hungry all at once on the primary feeding of the day um, you're going to end up with a lot of sort of fighting for space and that sort of thing whereas if you can introduce a situation where, like you said, they're eating more smaller meals and they're distributing those more evenly through the day. There's maybe less issues with that. So, In, in beef cattle, we talk a lot about uh, 
bank management and uh, perhaps it's it's uh it's the same concept and uh, we, we like to see like when we go to a feedlot we like to see we like to call the three thirds it's a third of the edibles with your feeding going to the bunk a third of the animal in the middle of the pen a third of the animal in the back of the pen just waiting for that turn right because we do not have a space for everyone inside in the front of that bunk right and, uh, and that it's about that. It's about the daily management, right? So it's, it, it, it goes a little bit away from what we do in the computer and we hope for that diet to be the one that is consumed, uh, but it's, it has to do with it. And uh, it is, it's, not only, it's not only the diet, but the management as well. So talk to me a little bit too about, you mentioned one of the goals of the strategies you're working with is to make animals more resilient. What do you mean by that? Resilient against what challenges? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, we, we, we we like to think here, so this is more region to region, but we, we can use, I guess, the concept for whatever, whatever the place, I guess, it's it is too hot or too cold. Or, but uh, uh, the point is we are, we are offering... We're offering these animals a, a uh, the system forces, not forces, but it somehow condition us to have these animals to increase efficiency. And by increase efficiency means uh, they have it to produce with quality, with uh, respecting the, the uniqueness of the animals, with well, considering well-being, but in a shorter, shorter amount of time in a shorter amount of time and, and how quick and how hard you push for this shorter amount of time uh, will dictate how these animals will respond. So uh, receiving diets, we are, how, how long do we have to adapt these animals? Is any strategy to happen in that moment so then I don't compromise the development of these animals long run because uh, most of the cases uh, if you're dealing with a cafe system we will have this animal for two 250 days inside the feedlot in a in a in a in a, in a dairy facility the same you're going to be feeding these animals uh, all year long right and, uh, and they eat much more than beef cattle so the load of nutrients is elevated as well so how how efficient we are to having these animals exposing their potential for production uh but at the same but at the same time uh their potential for the longevity or this in the system like if we think about the dairy but uh on the the shortness of the system if you think about the beef system right we we, we heard about a lot of about the poor doers right and i believe the poor doers all started because of our fault in in a specific moment and uh uh, and how can we decrease the amount of these poor doers? Let's call that way, and, uh, and make sure that yes, we can have healthy animals producing great uh, products in a, in an efficient way, uh, respecting the environment, but also being economic, being profitable, right? So the resilience of the system, I guess, involves uh, more than just the health of the animal. Or, if it is profitable or not. So that's what I mean about the resilience of, uh, of the system because it, it has to be, it has to be connected, right? On the, on keeping these people in business, but at the same time, respecting resources and, and respecting the animals. So I like to think about the resilience of the system. So maybe it's a too broad of a term for it. <laughs> that helps. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about, you, you've, I think, done a nice job of explaining some of the goals that you have in your research program. 
So what sorts of tools are you looking at right now that you think help animals move in this direction of uh, being more resilient, uh, maybe more efficient at the same time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, I've, uh, we all have our own personal bias, right? So and that everyone is guilty of it. And I, I have, and we can gauge this by how much time you have in how much time of your graduate students you're investing on it. And, uh, uh, direct fat microbials have been a one of our focus uh, over here, but uh, uh, in but one of the things that we believe that make us uh, uh, unique in our program is uh, trying to yes respect design and and no minimizing confounding on factors, but uh, try to use more of a holistic approach rather than evaluating one single strategy or one single molecule in one specific moment and then perhaps we are missing some of the additional nutritional support let's put that way that could make the a technology succeed or uh, be uh, increase the efficacy in a, in a specific moment so i think it's important to have things isolated and uh, minimizing confounding but at the end of the day when these technologies direct, let's talk about microorganisms, for example, direct fat microbials, when they, when they hit the digestive tract, maybe even before in the diet, uh, it, they will be interacting with supporting nutrition, with supporting chemicals, with supporting substances that will affect their development. Right? Absolutely. So that, to some extent, that sounds a little bit like, uh, a strategy that's gaining popularity in human nutrition is to, to combine prebiotics and probiotics, right? Is that sort of the way you think about it? And can you define that for us? Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, and yes, and, and some technologies they actually have all together, right? If we, if we, if you think about uh, uh, some uh, uh, some uh, uh, fermentation products that can be used, for example, that have a combination of technologies. Right, and we we always should do a good job in trying to characterize this and describe what is actually in there, right? So that we are not just blinding ourselves on the on the effects. And that's where where the misconception come on the on the combos is because sometimes we we are just blinding our ourselves to to the variability that you are adding. But when you design for these things, I guess it's a it's a win the win situation. So for example, uh, uh, microorganisms that uh, have an effect on on modulating ruminal fermentation. Does ruminal papillae has an impact on this modulation of the fermentation? Does oxidative stress not only of the animal in the tissue, but within the microorganism, uh, the microbiota inside the rumen has an effect on that? Which vitamins or which minerals or which uh, uh, nutritional support we can give to minimize some of these constraints, which help us to explain perhaps, oh, it worked well in this type of diet, but it didn't in this type of diet, right? So, oh, it's the same amount of starch. Uh, it got to be that the microorganism is dead, right? So, we, we try to blame on things that we are second-guessing ourselves and perhaps part of this holistic approach uh, on this support nutritional uh, combination can uh, can give us a better guidance instead of trying to eliminate all the confounders we can get. Maybe we bring some of these together 
to have a, a perhaps a positive associative effect on the response, right? So it's challenging. It's, it's I guess, simpler said than done, uh, but uh, you have to have the, the scientific rationale behind, right? It, it cannot be gambling by any means. Uh, otherwise, then it's better just to isolate the effects, right? So then I would agree with everybody else on that. So. And yeah, I t- to your point about we can't just throw this in a computer and have the computer do the job, right? So if you have, you mentioned associative effects. So we know from experiments that there are things we can put in diets that are going to influence digestibility of other things. And yet I'm not aware of any animal nutrition computer model that will accurately account for those things, right? So that's where human expertise brings a lot of value. Um, and I think there's real potential still to to learn more, to inform humans better that are doing diets. Mm-hmm. What, what particular, you, you mentioned using sort of holistic interventions or, or tools. Talk me through some of those that you're working with right now. Okay, all right. So, uh, for example, uh, uh, live yeast, for example, has, has been around uh, uh, every time I see a review, I, see, I try to see how many papers they mentioned or how many years that has been around I lost count on that and I guess there are several ways to count that but uh, why we why do we continue assessing why is still a so uh, productive uh, uh, area uh, in science and and so there is a reason for that and and, and the reason is uh, we we are trying to find these battery strategies. We are trying to understand why it works sometimes and does and and, and others. Why that effect is not clear and it was within the the determination that we had for this study that is no longer anymore over there. And then we try to think about, okay, that's just the number of the animals. That's every single study now. Let's use a thousand animals and we solve all the problems. And the answer would be no, right? When the answer, when the answer is too simple like that, I guess we can, we can already expect that the answer that is probably not that way. So, uh, well, one of the things we have been exploring uh, is this, if this oxidative uh, environment, this oxidative environment, and we I like to focus in the rumen, but uh, we have been merging to other digestive compartments as well. So, in uh, the development of the papillae, because at the end of the day, this this papillae will will mediate the absorption of a lot of fatty acids and, and minerals and vitamins and and uh, we want a health rural papillae, and we actually have a little arm as well connect to try to work on liver abscesses and try to understand more about this and rethink about the things that we thought we knew. Maybe we don't know as much as we thought. So it's uh, th- this. So when we are using uh, models or like live yeast that have a, a scientific background on, on modes of action and on, on potential activity of these microorganisms inside the, the rumen, that's the, that's the point that you can, you can think about supporting, uh, supporting nutrients that can fulfill the same mission. So one of the things that I try to focus with live yeast is uh, oxidative stress and development of papillae. And, uh, and I mentioned before vitamin C and vitamin B1, it wasn't a coincidence. It's actually, it's the, a couple of things that we, we have been uh, assessing. 
but but the idea ultimately is to have the support need provide this support for the microorganism and it might be through the host it might be through the microbiota directly but try to fill up some of these gaps that we feel there is a potential uh, to be fulfilled especially for high producing animals especially for high producing animals we are putting caps uh we expect a lot from these animals nowadays in advancements in genetics, especially in the beef side. So the dairy uh, side has been, uh, I guess, a long way from from uh, ahead of this curve. But on the beef side, there's improvements in genetics and we're exploring more of these animals as we go. Uh, these high-producing animals uh, uh, perhaps have unique needs. Uh, that maybe we didn't have in the past when we were harvesting these animals with 800 pounds or 900 pounds. So, so. Mm-hmm. so I like that concept. You're, you're looking for nutrients that are going to sort of uh, syner- work synergistically with the direct-fed microbial live yeast in this case. Mm-hmm. Talk me through some of the interesting findings you've had in that space. Is it, are, are you seeing these combined packs uh, have clear impacts in a repeatable way, or are you seeing more effects in certain situations? Yeah, so uh, uh, we, ha- we have been, uh, there are a couple of things that seem to, uh, to, uh, to be very consistent, and we, uh, we feel very happy about it, because it, it means that it has to do more with the concept and less with the current situation, right? Because there are type of animals and, and Time of the year; those are all compounding, right? But uh, we, we we had a chance to 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 be around in in, in the arena for the, the the past few years with this with this concept. And uh, for example, uh, effects on uh, adipose uh, adipose tissue deposition, perhaps not in the portion that we wanted that adipose tissue to be at. Like if we think about the beef cattle, we, we talk about marbling, right? Uh, but by the fact that we are we are getting carcasses with a greater adipose tissue, it tells me that uh, it tells me that we made these nutrients more available if the effect, if the intake wasn't uh, wasn't a direct effect. So uh, it tells me that more of those nutrients were uh, were mo- were uh, uh, were utilized. And uh, the digestion, perhaps the efficiency of that digestion per gram of organic matter fermented or whatever the unit we want to use. But until we figure out to better partition in this, I guess the improvement in disappearance in digestion is something very, uh, very popular. We used to see improvement in digestion and then not in a different situation. And it is improvement in dry matter digestibility, organic matter digestibility, especially fiber components, MDF, ADF, and hemicellulose, we do by calculation, uh, has been very consistent in different scenarios, regardless if it's a CAFET, if it is a yearling system, or if it is a, a high stressful environment. We try to, to modulate that as well. We actually, some of these responses can be more actually intense on on animals that were challenged somehow because of environment or uh, or uh, 
uh, management. And the way we do it, we didn't put them in chambers, so we, we tried to stimulate more on the management of these animals to, to stimulate this stress. And But regardless of the situation, uh, this improvement in digestion in uh, uh, adipose tissue has been very consistent. Uh, so it, it improvement in ruminal uh, papillae absorptive area, for example. Uh, so this, this, this have been repeated. And then, and then we, we, we get one or other elements uh, showing up occasionally that we, we feel that it might be more related to the animal rather than the technology being used. But uh, digestion, adipose tissue uh, would be the main ones. Yeah, and just, just to pick on one of those outcomes, um, and this may well be pure speculation, but help me connect the dots how you think uh, a live yeast um, that's fed along with some other components of a supplement might actually improve whole, and whole tract uh, digestibility of fiber, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh there have been, uh, and that, this is a great arena because there have been great reviews that have uh, touched on this topic, and it's uh, uh, it's always nice because uh, we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time we do a project, right? So that is it's a great portion. But uh, I guess uh, on top of all these uh, effects that libis could be uh, potentially uh, enduring or uh, inducing in, in the in the physiology of digestion, I, I would uh, highlight a couple of the uh, things related to stability of ruminal environment. So, ability to stimulate uh, lactate utilizing bacteria, for example, uh, fibrolytic degrading uh, microorganisms. And, uh, and we can talk about uh, oxygen scavenging, which has to do with the oxidation, uh, the redox potential inside the rumen, right? Which uh, uh, life is going to be uh, reducing that stress, let's put that way. We can think about different portions of the rumen, right? Rumen walls or in the middle, we can measure that different ways as well. But uh, I, I, I like to, I always like to emphasize this, yeah, this ability in general that, is uh, microorganisms like this in particular have to uh, to induce a, a stable uh, ruminal environment, and sometimes a stable ruminal environment has nothing to do with the increase in pH. Maybe is decreasing the variability of ruminal pH. So uh, Dr. Bushman and Dr. Penner in Canada have done a tremendous job on, on showing that relationship of uh, uh, might not have to be with the average, it might be the decrease in variability, right? And, uh, and, and these are consistent things that we can uh, uh, we can see that might induce the improvement of this nutrient utilization, right? Less of these bumps inside the digestive tract will favor uh, ruminal, ruminal degradation, and why not intestinal disappearance as well? Why not hind gut? We don't measure much hind gut, right? It's not because it's not important, right? It's difficult. It's it's challenging, and uh, uh, we have been recently using, for example, some of the. Uh, uh, of course, we didn't invent this. Fecal pH has been around for a long time. Measurement, but uh, one of the things we 
we we have been doing is this this, this cyclical assessment, right? This twenty four hours, because uh, depending on the moment you measure, you might be measuring up there or down here. So I uh, I believe graduate students love when I say that we have a twenty four hour collection or at least twenty four time points. There are several ways we can do that. But uh, w- one of the things that is interesting is that sometimes, for example, doing a simple comparison, a finisher diet and a grower diet, and we look at the, the fecal pH, and then it would say, okay, so the finisher diet, a more fecal starch, greater fermentation, it drops the pH. The difference is there. That might be the reason. It might be because of the load. It might not be starch concentration in the diet, might be the starch consumption. But that's a sin for, for a different discussion. But you have those differences. And one of the things is uh, when we when we have yeast uh, included in this type of assessment, uh, perhaps we exacerbate that difference. Not by changing much uh, the, the lower pH, but raising uh, the greatest pH. And it means that more of that starch disappearing, right? Making the more of that starts to disappear. So exacerbating those differences, making it less variable. And actually that is, it's related when we try to measure these things and we are capable actually to detect differences, right? Because they are less variable. So it's not only about the size or the magnitude of that difference, but actually the ability to detect that difference because now things are less variable. And I think that's a good point we can think about live yeast, making things less variable in the digestive tract. So I know you spend most of your time thinking about applications uh, on the beef side, but if, if you had one takeaway from your work that you think um, could really impact decisions we make with diets for dairy cattle, for example, what, what would that be? What comes to your mind? Yeah, so uh, I, I always try to think about the things that overlap, right? So then I can then I can make my <laughs> my message meaningful, right? Is it? Uh, but uh, a, a couple of the things that we need to realize that uh, it, it really happens with these dairy cows is the load of nutrients, the consumption, the load of of the nutrients that will these animals will take every single day. So if uh, if the feeding behavior hasn't been uh, yet the focus of your measurements, of your observations, uh, I think is, as as it is merging in the title of my publications, I guess it should merge as well as, as the importance uh, on the on things that we observe every day. And uh, don't take me wrong, anecdotal observations are very valid, are very valid in, in some uh, changes in management or things that can make these animals actually not charge in that book. Right, and they are distributing this load of nutrient consumption, and of course have a balanced diet based on the phase that that animal needs. But uh, things, uh, unique things in the operation that might be affecting this animal behavior, uh, might be much more important and valuable than try to see how many parts per million of these or that microbial, which I bet the nutritionists are already doing a great job. And, uh, and taking care of that, we can co-house, keep it, right? Although a lot of, a lot of things to figure out yet, but uh, uh, we, we like to think that we are covering these bases and at distance, the nutritionist is not every day inside the operation, right? No one would do that. And uh, how is that communication happening, 
right? It, it, it's some of the social aspect as well. And I'm, and I got a PhD in philosophy, right? Philosophy, doctorate in philosophy, right? But I don't like to talk about that. But uh, how is that communication happen? How is that transfer of information from the employee for the, for the person that is on a daily basis with these animals helping me to set up a, a nutritional strategy? It, is this communication happening, right? And uh, it's challenging, right? It's not easy because a computer yet cannot do that for us. I don't think it will ever be able to, but it will be always tools that we will have, right? Uh, Dr. Tedeschi has several, uh, my colleague in, uh, further south over here at Texas A&M, and uh, he had a great symposium this year in the animal science community talk about artificial intelligence, right? And, uh, and how the phase that we are evolving now that we have these numbers, right? And we're trying to make these numbers become information so then we can develop tools, right? Tools for what is to connect this communication on these anecdotal observations that can help us can help us to better manage these animals and better provide the nutrients that uh, throughout the day for these animals. It's challenging, but uh, I think we have extra tools coming up coming on. But, the, but that will never replace the communication, right, Doctor Bradford? I, I believe it. That's uh, it has been out there since long time. And uh, people like to say that the owner, the eyes of the owner makes a difference, right? Uh, and, and it does, it's especially when the owner is the one taking the decisions. But what if we have a large group and you need to make that information from your eyes to pass across? So then the nutritionist is aware, right? The, the person in charge of the management is aware, the employees that... Uh, on the high or low pay grade, it doesn't matter, are aware, so then they can collaborate. So the, that's the communication, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I think there's a lot of, a lot of space for overlap there. Mm-hmm. It's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Smacks Tech. Get insights from inside your cows with Smacks Tech for higher herd health and profitability. Our Yeast 40, ruminal and intestinal double modulation by ICC Animal Nutrition. Ivonic Animal Nutrition, we are sciencing the global food challenge. DSM, providing innovative feed additives that improve the efficiency and profitability of dairy production. Xzealot, a novel product for the management of hypocalcemia. It's uncomplicated excellence. Your partner in improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. They provide high-quality, economical feed ingredients for ruminants, like their well-researched coated nutrients and fat powders that can support cows with additional available energy, which improves their overall health, productive performance, and your cost efficiency. Data shows most cattle don't get enough beta-carotene. DSM's Victus Transition can help support your cattle's fertility and colostrum quality through beta-carotene supplementation, Learn more at dsm.com forward slash Victus Transition. All right. As we get close to the end of our time, uh, there's always three questions we like to throw at every guest, and it's interesting to see what we get back. So I'm going to start with those. First of all, your favorite dairy-related or maybe ruminant nutrition-related book or resource? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've been... Uh, uh, 
I, I'm a real fan of the National Academies. I'm a real fan of the National Academies and, and the publications they put out. And these people that, that are involved in these committees and they, and they have done a tremendous uh, job recently on, on adding information in these publications on, on the National Academies. It, it's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying it wasn't properly done in the past. It's just the additional information that has been uh, put together in some of the the explanation and the background of it. So uh, I'm a I'm a really big fan of the National Academies, and one day I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll I hope one day I can I can collaborate and serve the society, being part of uh, some of these committees. But I would say for for the dairy, for the beef, for, for the equine, uh, for the swine, is the uh, National Academies of Engineer uh, uh, Science, Engineer Medicine. Uh, I think is uh, uh, we make analogies, right, on, on religion, on it. Maybe it's wrong. We call the Bible of it, and uh, I guess it's we, it's 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 things generated within uh, the context of the world, and in uh, these committees have done a tremendous job in putting this information together. So I'm always pro to to stimulate. If you want to have one, uh, if you haven't one yet, you you should get. Uh, within these species you are you are interested in. Yeah. Well said. All right. What about your favorite book or resource outside of agriculture? Yes, yes. So uh uh I I like to read a lot of unrelated things and uh and uh and my wife is in accounting and these other things. And uh, I guess uh, one of the always make me think about the strategy is is the art of war. And uh, and when we are we are thinking about his strategies is 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 maybe the, if you, if you haven't read the book is it he has basically nothing to do about killing anyone is is about to strategize and being able to be part of a, a succeed in uh, uh, using these strategies within within a community that you that you survive and I think we can take that very same concept and place in education. And place in research, and place in personal life, in place in personal relationships. I have a big group over here. I have several graduate students, several undergraduate research. I'm very proud of all of them. Several residents working in my team as well from different countries, and uh, uh, we we always have to think about how to strategize not only our professional goals but our, also our personal goals. And in uh, the art of war, I guess, give you several nice tips over that on how important a strategy is and actually how to use it. So uh, uh, that, that would be my tip, I guess. Good answer. Okay. And then last, in your opinion, what sets successful dairy professionals apart from those who are less successful? Yeah. So uh, if you allow me, I would like to, to pull a little bit of the hookup of what I want to mention about is service learning classes that that I have uh, invested quite a bit of time. I, I teach uh, six classes in the in the department. I've been merging this class to service learning, and uh, our our ability and and I will be guilty sometimes and not doing that much because I like to talk. But our ability to mine that information, to listen to people, our ability to get needed questions out there so then even if the answer is not known 
uh, as soon as you ask a question and you get a uh, you don't know the answer, that becomes a seed which will hopefully develop in a discovery of a solution, maybe empowering a student, but ultimately serving society. So if we expose ourselves to to ask the questions, expose ourselves uh, to listen and and, uh, and try to mine that information and never give up on that, ultimately, we will serve better society. And, and that is related to the job you have, right? You can translate that ultimately, you will not lose your job, right? Ultimately, you're going to be promoted, but the motivation is important. So if we put head mindset on serving society with excellence, if you have that as a mindset, uh, that will affect what you say, it will affect what you think, and will affect your actions, uh, and you will serve society with excellence, uh, hopefully in the short, in the, as soon as possible, right? But you will do it, and will make you resilient. So uh, I think is uh, have the right motivation. Think about serving society with excellence, and then everything else will be a consequence. You will uh, with time and uh, what you expose yourself to. So, a fantastic message and a lot of wisdom there. Great, thank I'm you. Hundred percent. Yes, sir. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure, uh, Dr. Jonas Sartori. Thank you for joining us uh, from Texas Tech, and uh, we look forward to seeing you serving on a, a Beef National Academy's uh, Nutrient Requirements Committee in the future sometime. There you go. Great. Amen. And thank you again for the invitation. Very honored uh, to spend uh, minutes with you guys. And uh, uh, feel free to reach out uh, if I can be helpful in anything else. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Dairy Podcast Show. If you haven't subscribed yet, please hit that button so you don't miss the next episode. And until next time, uh, we'll see you then.